Al Anderson Afternoons, the podcast. Let's talk about the COVID-15 or the quarantine 15, the 15 pounds that many of us have put on working from home or being stuck at home, locked down. Jory Jansen is the director of sports dietetics at the Canadian Sports Center. Jory, good afternoon. Good morning. How are you? Or is it good afternoon? Yes, good afternoon. Ex- that's okay. Yeah. Listen, hey, I've lost track of time completely. I don't even know what day it is, so don't feel bad about getting morning and afternoon wrong. The hey, the quarantine fifty. Yes, right. Okay, good. That's let me let me write that down so I don't forget. Um, the quarantine fifteen or the COVID fifteen. Yeah. It's the it's the yeah. real deal. You know, it can be the real deal for some people, for sure, for different reasons. Um, I think, you know, for some of us, we've been at home, we're stationary that much more. The kitchen is even closer to our office space. So with, you know, maybe a little bit of less activity in our in our structured days um, and food choices, we've been some of us have been a little more festive. Then, yeah, I mean, that that weight creeping up is happening. But um, for most, I would say it's nothing to worry about. Things will become more structured in their days. But there's another side too. There's the whole mental illness side where anxiety, um, even eating disorders, this has really um, struck uh, a chord with with this group. And so for some, this this is something that you're going to get through pretty easily. For others, it's looking for some support to make make you aware of that you can get through this and you're not alone. All right, talk about the more serious parts of this then. I, I had given that a bit of thought, but I never it never even crossed my mind, eating disorder. So get into that a bit, because as you point out, 10 or 15 pounds, most people can deal with that over time, um, but uh, that other stuff may not be so easy. It's not. I mean, we all have our struggles, and whatever mental stressors some people have, it comes out in anxiety. For some, it's dysfunctional eating behaviors. Um, others, it is full-out eating disorder. So there's different levels. But I, I think what people need to look at is that we need to practice right now, especially not just self-compassion for others, but a lot of self-compassion for ourselves. And accepting and acknowledging our feelings for sure, but understanding that um, and acknowledging our feelings, but looking at what the truth is. The truth is that there are still supports. The truth is that you're not alone. The help is going to be different for sure. Um, but there are people that are trained, that are ready to go. They're on the front lines. It, that help just might happen in a different way. And so help, some of those people are listening right now. And so how do they find that help, those supports that you talk about? What's the best way? Well, there's lots of options. If they already have their health care providers, they can connect with them and figure out, okay, so what are the supports? There are a lot of frontline staff that aren't doing frontline work right now, but are doing it virtually. For example, with my clients, we're doing it virtually. And um, that might be phone calls. It might be a, a safe platform to have private conversations on to help with that. I know even within schools, there are supports where um, some of the schools will have their counselors providing support to teens and to children. And that's uh, just a huge, huge help, I know, for for even in our household. So there, you look at who is your healthcare provider, connecting with them. I know Health Canada, COVID-19, there's tons of resources on the website 
for nutrition, dial a dietitian can help set you up with the right person. For example, you know, is it someone that you just need for lifestyle or is it something more deeper around anxiety and how you can set up a team with a counselor and a dietitian to help you work through this time? So it really depends mm-hmm. on what your needs are. Yeah. And you're at the Canadian Sports Center. I mean, you, you deal with some real athletes, whether they're pros or, or semi-pro or just really, you know, serious athletic people. Are they finding it tough as well? Because I, I can't tell you how many people I have talked to that have said, when are the gyms opening? When are the gyms opening? Which is part of phase two, and we're keeping an eye on that, and we hope that's going to happen sooner. Are you seeing that as well, that demand to get back to the gym and, and, and work on not just your weight, but your uh, muscle and, and everything else that goes along with, with fitness and exercise? Absolutely. Actually, I see the same thing in the athletic population as well as with the general population is that we're hoping for some normal normalcy, which means especially for athletes, but there there are certain human beings as well. And athletes are humans first and their sport is what they do. But what they're looking for is that structure and that guidance again, something t- for them that is, you know, you wake up at this time, you eat at this time, you do your strength at this time, you do your yoga at this time, you're deep breathing. So they're looking for that. Um, and yeah, actually, personally, uh, the first three to five weeks business was over the top booming just because they're looking for that. So it's helping them. I, at the sports center, I get to work with the team, with the psychologist, with strength and conditioning, with marketing. There's a whole bunch of us working together as a team to support our athletes at first the human level and then what they do as an athlete as as the second level so it's supporting them first in terms of their anxiety um and and then going from there in terms of how do we create um you know at home services because that's how it's had to been for the past nine weeks yeah let's come back around to where we started the covid 15 or the quarantine 15 and we'll end with that i know that for me i've struggled with my weight all my life right and I know for me being at home, you're just steps away from the fridge. Uh, the way I dealt with it is when I uh, took food to work, I, I took the good stuff, I took a certain amount, and that was how I sort of controlled those uh, tendencies to want to eat more and maybe eat stuff that's not as good for me. But that is tougher at home. Any good advice? For sure. Well, one of the things, the trends, if you follow any social media platform, is everyone's baking. And so one of the things is you don't have to follow the trend. Bake like you did before. If you baked a lot before, awesome. Then you know how to manage that. If you weren't a baker before, then, you know, maybe do it the way you did. Go back to the simpler ways. The other part is challenge diet culture. Challenge uh, the over-exercise or the over-healthy eating image and go back to normalcy. Um, try to get some some structure in your day. Go to sleep at the right time. Wake up at a scheduled time. Be consistent with those. Start maybe a couple of meals are more consistent and a couple of snacks are more consistent. Can you, do you have time? Can you prepare some meals and snacks in advance so you have your go-to for the day? I know for my athletes, it's absolutely helpful for them to plan right out and prepare today for tomorrow whatever it might be whether it's their activities and their food and their hydration so maybe it's starting a little bit of that without being excessive allow yourself to grow through this time um allow some time and space to acknowledge it's different ask for help um do the online socializing physical distancing getting out there getting out to nature those sort of things so i think it's 
you know, challenge the perfectness that you're seeing in social media and realize that everybody's a little bit of a mess. And can we be just a little bit healthier of a mess more often than not? Yeah. And then, I mean, factor in families that have two or three kids at home, right? And then that's a whole nother uh, element. But a lot of the advice that you just gave works with the kids as well. As, as a family, you have to sort of approach this stuff. Absolutely. I have one amazing gift in my home and uh, I get her involved. She's been helping with the meal prep with selecting what it's going to be. She has new outlets now, um, very much watched by me, but she has a couple of social media outlets on. Now she's loving positivity messages. She's loving arts and crafts and cooking and stuff. And so she's got these new outlets to express herself. So finding safe ways for for you, for your children to express themselves, and knowing that in the chaos that you know we're get, we're going through the storm. Sometimes you can go around it. Right now, we're going through it, and at the end, it's going to be okay. Hey, Jory, thanks a lot. Great stuff. Really appreciate your time. You're welcome. All right, thank Jory you, Jory Jansen. Joining us on the phone now, iconic. I'm adding that, uh, Harry, to your. Uh, introduction here the iconic farm reporter harry seaman seaman says.com harry um how are you this afternoon i am doing really well yeah absolutely good excellent hey i i thought it was time for an update on our farmers our growers our our producers i saw a story this morning and i'll get you to weigh in on this and then we'll chat about our our farmers but over in britain prince charles is encouraging people to help farmers harvest over there Apparently, there's a severe shortage of labor, and uh, the prince says that we need an army of people to help. Food does not happen by magic. Food is precious and valued and cannot be taken for granted. Absolutely true. Um, how is the, uh, which I thought is, is a nice thing, you can weigh in on that, and then maybe we can get into uh, labor here. Any shortages around here that you're hearing of? You know, it's uh, interesting. You know, it's one of the biggest challenges, but we, the federal government has been working together with organizations and producers that the producers that need the labor, uh, that they will be here. And, uh, but at the same time, it's been a real challenge because, uh, but, uh, you know, there's, there's all kinds of programs, but running the equipment today isn't the same way than when I grew up and ran the right. equipment initially, you know, and so it's, uh, Always a challenge to get the person that really is interested and in making sure he doesn't do more damage or she. And that doesn't in any way put those people down. It's just a fact of life. It's, uh, you know, if, if somebody wants to come in and be a, a radio broadcaster, you know, it just doesn't happen overnight. There's got to be some training. And I know, tell me. <laughs> so uh, yeah. I think we've got the situation under control. As you know, the seeding that's going on right now, uh, you don't need uh, the kind of help. I mean, we, we've got the uh, isolation, uh, you know, the uh, social distancing and all that taking place. And, and it's not really a problem for, for the agricultural community. It's uh, the um, vegetables. And, you know, and I was interesting. I just visited with the executive director of the Prairie Fruit Growers Association. And she told me, Angie uh, Cormier, told me that, yes, there will be strawberry picking again this year. With a few protocols put in place, they're going to do that just the way they always have. And that, to me, was good news because there's, uh, you know, about 70 or so you pick uh, operations in Manitoba. So that's uh, good news. And, and so those are the people that pick them themselves. 
but it's when the vegetables and so forth, the people that work on the vegetables are very labor intensive that uh, that you really start to need that labor coming in uh, a lot of times from Mexico and southern United States and so forth. Yeah, more so in other provinces in, in the southern uh, state, the, the U.S., uh, more so than here, and I guess obviously in, in Britain as well. You know, talking about the equipment now, I, as a kid, I would help my grandpa and my uncle harvest, right? I, I drove the truck, and they'd, you know, we'd dump the grain from the com- right from the combine into the truck on the run, and I'd take it in and, you know, put it in the bin. I did that as a young guy for, for many summers. But I was driving to the lake the other day. Jackie and I took a quick run up to the lake just for the day to, to get out of the city and, and take a look at things up there. And uh, there was a tractor on the road. It is it is amazing, Harry, the equipment and the advances in the equipment. It, it looked more like a tank than a tractor. You know, you're absolutely right. And, and the electronics that goes into today's equipment, uh, the GPS, uh, you know the oh, it's it's unreal. I I'm glad I don't have to learn over, start over, and and learn all that stuff. I just like talking <laughs> about it, so that's a yeah. lot, <laughs> a lot easier. But you know, let me just put one caveat in there. Corey yeah. Peters from Randolph, Manitoba, near Steinbach. A, a friendly safety reminder to my fellow farmers: we used a strap and a clevis, no chains. The clevis pulled a little crooked and split open, sending. It threw the window grazing my shoulder, and it flew right between my dad and me in the cab. I have a picture of the tractor. The back window is totally out. He said, please double check. You're always being safe. You're worth it. You know, and and those are the kinds of things that that we need to also be careful. You know, and then I've talked to a young farmer from Boise, Jason uh, Hildebrandt. You know, he showed a picture on Twitter where he was, you know, going about a foot deep as far as muddy track and this was only may 9th so the water table there they're combining last year's canola still have 550 acres left but at the same time he left that and he went over and, and made sure that they would start seeding this year's crop so right now uh hal believe it or not we probably are a good 40 50 uh, percent complete in many areas just because uh the conditions were right in those areas. In fact, some of those people that have put in crops, they are actually now waiting for a little bit of rain. You know, even though it may be wet underneath, it's always good to get that soil moistened at the top to get that germination, especially with 27-degree weather. And that's a little surprising, uh, uh, you know, to be that far along at this point, but I guess it has been dry. It's been cool, but it's been pretty dry, eh? It has been. And, you know, I mean, the, the, the colder temperature but that you know that doesn't necessarily stop them especially Mm -hmm. when it gets a bit later like this spring but uh, you know the capability of farmers across western canada you know at one time i heard you know we could if they were all going and conditions were pretty good you know you could put in 10 million i don't know how many millions of acres a day but uh, i know a lot of guys when they get 10 12 days of, of good work you know they're done and how are they feeling uh, with uh, the crop in the ground for many of them, Harry? Are they are they feeling optimistic uh, with this pandemic? It's got everybody on edge and wondering about the future. What about our, our growers and, and uh, even our producers? And we can talk livestock in a bit if you want, but what about the crops? How are they feeling? I think they're, they're feeling pretty good. You know, they're still suffering a bit from that blockade of the railroad track and the port at Vancouver, you know, which really stopped things way back in, what is that, February, 
and uh, that that hurt and and uh, and even before that i guess uh, you know that really disrupted transportation and uh, but at the same time you know that's continuing to work through the system the border remains open a lot of our crop uh, you know of course goes south and so we've uh, we've got that going for us you know right now the guys are optimistic when they can get on the field and start turning that dirt and the dirt looks good and and it's unbelievable i asked the uh, Jason, I said, how do you get all those tracks? You know, what do you do with those? Oh, he said, we use an old cultivator. <laughs> we use an old cultivator hmm. and then knock it down and put in the seeds. And, and of course, there's so much uh, zero till or part uh, zero till going on that I, this same Corey Peters, he had another picture on Twitter. He says, I'm putting in uh, soybeans into the trash from last year's corn crop. And so it's uh, <laughs> the innovation the ingenuity and uh, just the plain, uh, you know, working hard and, and doing what's got to be done is, is, is why I, at 39 years of, of actual journalism, I'm still in the business. Yeah. And one quick last question, and then we're out of time and we'll have to do this again uh, soon, uh, Harry, but what about livestock? I, I see more and more producers out there, including uh, Henry. I know who Henry uh, listens to this show, Henry, up in the Interlake there. I see he's selling cattle directly to people. He drops the the uh, livestock off at the, the butcher. I mean, it's all done properly and everything, but farmers are skipping a couple of steps in the middle to try and make ends meet. You're absolutely right. And, and I think a lot of cases, you know, the, the cattle producers were looking for a bit of a set-aside program where they could get some extra cash to help them put these cattle, keep them on the grass a little longer because of the uh, processing plants that were shut down or at least in part shut down in Alberta. But at the same time, you know, it's it's really been a, a tough go. Uh, you know, the cattle prices are so-so. And, and, and the hog side, of course, I did a, a couple of articles on the hog business today. Fortunately, We've, the processing plants, as far as hogs are concerned, and Brandon, High Life and Nipawa, and Olemil and Red Deer, they're all have been operating basically at full tilt. So that's been good news for hog producers. But at the same time, there are areas, especially those guys that are shipping weanlings south, you know, that don't have any home for them. And I talked to uh, Bob Kleinzesser at uh, Suncrest Colony near Steinbeck, and he says, you know, the guy missed picking up weanlings. I can hold another week or so, but then I'm full. Hmm. Yeah. Hey, Harry, thanks a lot for this. Stay safe, and we'll send everybody to SeamanSays.com. You bet. Take care. Thank you very much, and uh, good luck. Carolyn, good afternoon. Hey, Hal. How are you doing? Good. I missed you. I had a week off. I missed you, and I missed Dr. Cyrus, my my regular guest. And, and you know what? I, I said this to Jackie last night. I, I said, oh good carolyn's uh uh, can talk to carolyn tomorrow because i really do kind of feel like this half hour we spend together just talking about stuff right stuff that people deal with i really do think it it helps me too and i'll just say this um last week having that week off i've come to the conclusion that it's better for me to be working than not working uh, during the pandemic, uh, when you're not working, a little too much time to think. When I'm doing the show, I'm keeping busy, and so I'm I'm really feeling for people out there that want to be working but aren't working because uh, it it makes it even tougher. Isn't that an interesting observation, right? And you wouldn't have known that unless you had that all that time. 
And then yeah. you realize, oh, that's too much time. And then you go to compassion to say, there's other people that have had weeks and weeks of all of this time and no alternative to uh, to be able to go back to work at this point. And I can hear your heart going out to them. And I think as we all find ourselves in different spaces, it gives us opportunity to understand and feel compassion for people that we otherwise wouldn't, we would have said we understood with our head, but now we can understand with our heart. Yeah. And I got, uh, you would think I would have taken that time off and got some things done. I didn't. You, on the other hand, wrote a book. What the heck? (laughs) Okay. Yes, I did write a book, but that makes me sound far more productive than, because I spent the first weeks in kind of that COVID lethargy that we all did. Um, but right. one of the things that I found during that time of COVID lethargy was was I was having these conversations with people, and um, and there would be a theme, and so then I would pull down a, a picture and put a quote on it and post it on my Facebook and write just a couple of paragraphs, and it was something that people um, have been and are still really gravitating towards and and sort of resonating with, and it was that bit of being able to be creative about what I was hearing and writing down my thoughts, and I would just feel better after I did that. And after I did that, you know, 10 or 15 times, I realized it's really good for us to think um, creatively and to work out what's going on inside in a way that is creative. It's, it's, it's a, when we could put things down and have a chance to be playful with it and make something with it and put our thoughts down um, in some sort of art form, I, feel, I felt better and I thought, what if I took some of these and wrote some new ones and put it all in a book? with creative prompts that would have people be able to journal or write poetry or paint or make a quilt or do something with their bread or just have even really interesting conversations. What would happen if I would give other people through my creativity an opportunity to exercise theirs um, as a way of working through their feelings in a way that would help us move through this pandemic? I was listening to an interview last week with, uh, what was his name? Uh, Mo Willems, he's a children's writer, and he was on Jimmy Fallon last week, and he said this thing. He said, sure, the vac- we're not going to get out of this until we have the vaccine, so the vaccine will get us out of this, but it is art and creativity that will get us through it. And I love mm. that idea of art and creativity getting us through something. And you even use your creativity um, all the time on the radio with all the different kinds of things that you do, and we enjoy that. And what if all of us could find a way to engage in that creativity. So, yes, I wrote a book, um, and it is just now published on Amazon, What is Mentionable is Manageable, a Creativity Journal, Compassionately Understanding One's Soul in the Weird New Normal of 2020. Well, good for you. Congratulations. And and people can just go and and search you on Amazon and and Amazon.ca, and they can find it? You bet. It's right there. Just put in Carolyn Clausen in the search engine, and What is Mentionable is Manageable will come up. Excellent. Well, congrats, and and good on you for using your time more wisely than me. Um, you know, it's funny. I I uh, as you know, I write columns in the Sun on the weekends, and I wrote on Saturday, and my my story was about the May Long being different than any other May Long ever. And uh, I had been off uh, for a week leading up to that, and I wrote about this sadness, you know, that I feel mm-hmm. for the people that want to be working but aren't working, and the people who uh, have lost loved ones, uh, you know, or, or have loved ones or friends that are dealing with the virus. And, and I think about the thousands, 
tens of thousands of people around the world that this virus has taken, and it's real easy to go down a deep, dark hole, you know? So um, I think it's great that you're you're finding another way to try and help people deal with this because I can't imagine how tough it must be for some people out there. And as I said in my column, I'm blessed. I have my health. I have Jackie. We're together. Um, you know, I just really feel for people out there and what they're going through sometimes. Yeah, I think it's a really hard time with a lot of big feelings, and often people have two opposite reactions to big feelings. One is to push them away to say, I cannot feel this grief. I have to just put on a happy face, and I'm going to push it down because I cannot begin to deal with it. And the other is to to, to feel it so intensely that it swamps you um, and that you feel like you're drowning in it. And what I think is that sometimes if we can get creative with it, it allows us to dip our our toes into the feelings and feel them in a way that allows us to move through them because we're we're addressing them but we're doing it in a way that's creative and playful and innovative and and it it, it helps us to be productive in feeling them rather than in either drowning them or pushing them away and I think there's a danger in either of those two extreme reactions um, if we can mention it, then we can manage it. Um, there's another, you know, thing that us uh, therapists we use. We talk: if you can feel it, you can heal it. And so, some of those sad feelings are hard to feel, but if we feel them, then we can figure out what we want to do with them, rather than them running our lives behind the scenes. You know, you talk about extremes. Uh, you know, sometimes you think, man, I don't know whether to laugh or cry. And, and every day, I look at the stories and things I want to talk about on the show. And I see uh, stories or something on both ends of the spectrum. For example, this is an actual real study. Most people working from home can't remember the last time they wore pants. That's real, <laughs> Carolyn. Two, two-thirds of the people that they talked to, this new research, 2,000 people, they talked to 2,000 people, two-thirds of them can't remember the last time they wore pants, which made me laugh. And then I saw another one where it says we're uh, less worried and bored, but we're still lonely. And uh, I also saw another study. Uh, this one's actually from DoorDash, the food delivery service. And it says moms and dads are using meal times to escape the house. 20% of parents, <laughs> over half of people are ordering more, uh, doing more takeout because of the pandemic. But 20% of those people admit they're ordering takeout just so they can get out of the house and get some me time. It's true, right? Sometimes we've had a, an errand to do in our house, and my husband and I will kind of look at each other and like, so who, go gets, to, who gets to go do the errands today? Um, because uh, we don't want to have multiple people going out at once, right? That's something that we've been encouraged not to do. Um, but errands are a treat to get out and get some air and get some space and just uh, be out of the house and be away. I think what we're asking parents to do right now, it was this is not the way parent people are designed to parent that intense 24-7 um, endlessly is just too hard on parents. Even in the old days when kids were homeschooled and lived on the farm all the time, it was often a three-generation household where caregiving would happen between parents and grandparents and aunts and uncles and so forth. And now we're expecting all parents all the time in a way that just is not sustainable um, and doesn't allow parents to recharge and re-engage with their kids with freshness um, and be able to enjoy their children right now it just feels all kids all the time it's too hard hal anderson afternoons the podcast is available on apple podcast google podcast and anywhere you find your favorite podcasts